the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. I realize you have a lot of choices in morning radio, a lot of things you can do to start your day. If you choose us, it is appreciated. It is uh, very, very much appreciated. It is a Friday. And that makes it a free-for-all Friday. That is a beautiful thing. So if and when you are ready to call, we are ready to take your call on whatever it is that you want to talk about. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Isn't that right, Mr. Scream? <laughs> How's the missus doing, sir? <laughs> Love you guys both very much. And it's not just any free-for-all Friday. It is... Tura It is the 17th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. So let me hear it if you're Irish. Can you dig it? If you are wearing green today, good on you. Whatever you're going to do with the day, by the way, make sure you do it safely, okay? Be, uh, be cognizant of other people. Uh, be aware, particularly if you are going to be imbibing in green alcoholic beverages. Uh, make sure you're not driving anywhere today. Be safe, be smart, and enjoy your day today. we got a good program lined up for you today. We do have a couple of guests coming on. 
this morning, uh, we're going to be talking to our friend Jonathan Broadbent with Protect Ohio Children North about a couple of education issues. That'll be happening at uh, 1010 this morning, so top of the next hour. We're going to talk to Chris Long, Pastor Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance, about a Monday night event that they've got planned, and it's an important one that we want to promote. So uh, Jonathan Broadbent and Chris Long will be joining us in a bit. We are guest-free completely in hour number one which means plenty of opportunities for you to speak and be heard, ask questions of me, uh, make comments to me, bring up topics to me. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you want to do, that's the nature of free for all Friday. Right, Mr. President? True and international average of pressure. Yes, sir. Let's get to our Pledge of Allegiance now so we can dive right into the top stories of the day. Patriots, stand up. Face your flag if you have one. If you do not, that's all right. Just imagine one. But put your hand on your heart and join us for a pledge. If you are a believer in the Brandon administration's surrendering of American sovereignty, if you are a believer in the LGBTQ predatory agenda to try to physically mutilate children after confusing them mentally in their preformative stages, well you probably won't really recognize that flag anyway. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. While the rest of us say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You know, I always try to introduce the pledge with a little bit of a comment that had something to do with the uh, lead story of the day that we're going to monologue about. But uh, today, a little bit different. I just didn't really find a way to con- to mix this into the pledge, other than just to say that as Americans <clears throat> who are represented by that flag that represents this great republic, is this really the second best we can do? Uh, I, 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 I've talked about this with Biden before. Um, but I want to just talk about it with with the number two right now. This is this is really an astounding thing when you think about it. There's around 335 million people in this country, and as a nation, it's our job to pick the people to to lead us, the best people, the best among us, the best among the 335 million to lead us. The best person, the top person that we choose, we call the President of the United States. The second best among us, we call the Vice President of the United States. It's really that simple. This is what we do. This is who we are. And um, there are times when I question and I wonder about our own sanity and our own ability to understand what it means to lead this country especially when we pick some of the people that we do. Now, some of this is ideological. I disagree with this person's ideology, and that's just the part. That's the nature of the beast in a two-party system. Some people are going to agree with you. Some people are going to disagree with you, and that's that's okay. I'm not freaking out about that because we can always argue ideology. But simple intellectual competence is another story altogether. Intellectual competence is... The ability to communicate, the ability to inspire, the ability to lead, all of those kinds of things are things that yeah, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be much debate on. There shouldn't be disagreeability on that the way you can with ideology, with political stances. Just the functioning cerebral cortex part. Kamala Harris is the vice president of the United States. She's the second most powerful person in this country. And Kamala Harris attended a basketball game. <clears throat> It was the opening round game between the University of Kentucky and Howard University, of which 
uh, Kamala Harris is an alum. That's her alma mater, which is fine. Good for her. She went to the game. Fine. Good for her. She was recognized at, at the game. Fine. Good for her. She was roundly booed at the game in which her own alma mater was playing, which is also fine. Good. Super great. That's not what makes her an idiot. Um, the reason I'm bringing up, is this the second best among us? Is this really you know, the top of the line about what we have representing this country? Is because what happened after the game? After the game, the vice president of the United States was invited into the Howard Lock. They got run off the court by Kentucky, as expected. So they lost, and their season ended. And in comes the vice president of the United States to give a post-game speech to grown athletic men. And when we're talking about college basketball, we're talking about adults here. We're talking about minimum 18 as freshmen, more likely 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old young men. And when you listen to her speak, you're going to ask yourself, is she talking to a college basketball team or is she talking to a room full of third graders? Because listen to how it went. played hard, you played to the very last second. You made all us bison so, so proud. You hustled out there, you are smart, you are disciplined, you put everything you had into the game. And you know, that's what it's about, right? Until the last minute, you guys did that. You didn't stop until the last second you did not stop. And that is so inspiring. So you keep playing with chin up and shoulders back. Because you showed the world who bison are. Right? I mean, you, literally what you have done is in historic proportion. You know, I was at Howard back in the day where we were just happy that there was a game. <laughs> Much less getting to this place. Right? And I see Bison literally all over the world, and we've been talking about you, this team, this team, you all, this team, this year, this team. You make us so proud. I just, uh, I just let that marinate. We have to sit here and soak in the stampede of her stupidity. Who is she talking to? You you did this team. You did that. You played until the very last second. You didn't stop. You did that. You did that. You didn't stop until the very last second, and that is so inspiring. Wait, what? What in the flying world is are they supposed to do? Quit with two minutes to go in the game? What team doesn't play until the very last second? What team doesn't stay on the floor until the actual game is over? Pretty much every team in the history of the sport plays the game until the five. But you did that. You stayed on the court and you stayed there and you and you you the whole world is watching and talking about you. The whole world is talking about this team, this team, this team. Boy, a team that just had their season ended with a lopsided loss to a higher ranked team. What in the hell are you talking about? And why are you talking to everybody like they are in third grade? So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists 
next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. She is talking to a room full of adults in all of these situations. And she I, and I can't figure out if she is so smart that she is condescending to the people that she is addressing and thinks they're too dumb to understand what would be strong, articulate language from her, so she dumbs it down for them in a condescending way, or if she speaks to people as if they're in third grade because she has a third grader's mentality. And I'm starting to think that's exactly which one it is. So to that end, we are announcing today also that we will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery um, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to, I believe, what is necessary to strengthen not only uh, the, the, the issue of public health, but also the economy. We are going to assist Jamaica in COVID recovery by providing assistance to Jamaica in the area in, in, terms, of, in the terms of COVID recovery. And so we're, we're going to, uh, Jamaica is the country we are going to assist. I mean, I, it's, this, you wonder why she's booed? Why does she speak to everybody like this? Why does she just toss word salad after word salad? Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. What? What the hell did you just say? Again, what are you saying to people and why does everyone need a translator and why do you try to talk down and talk so dumb to people? The refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think, and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend in need. <laughs> okay, so this time. Szanowna Pani Redaktor. I'm legitimately and literally embarrassed to be represented by somebody this mind-numbingly stupid. And publicly stupid to boot. I, I I can't I can't reconcile that this is the second best person in the United States. This this and by the way, Joe Biden keeps tripping and falling upstairs. He's one missed step away from cracking his head on a stairway that is going to lead to President Kamala Harris. The proverbial heartbeat away. She's a heartbeat away. And that's that's reality, and that is something that I mean. Again, I don't I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to square that in my head that we are literally that far away. And this is why people are asking how and why did she get here? Ned Ryan, 
was uh, on with uh, Jesse Waters yesterday. He tried to explain this in ways that we can understand. How in the world Kamala Harris got to this point? And I think some of us get it, but let's listen. So unlikable and, and, quite frankly, just not that bright has has climbed to such heights inside of our government. I mean, she couldn't even tell Colbert what she does as the vice president. I mean, every time she opens her mouth, Jesse, it's, it's a massacre of brain cells. But you also watch it in this morbid fascination like people watch now. Did he just say every time she opens her mouth, it's a massacre of brain cells? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. NASCAR races for the wrecks, and she never disappoints. <laughs> like, every time she goes out, it's a complete wreck. How she got here again is after that disaster in the 2020 primary, she, she dropped out even before Iowa. She was pulling at one or two percent. She's pulled from that pile of shame to be Joe Biden's VP because you needed somebody dumber than Joe Biden, which is saying something is he's clearly dealing with early onset of dementia. And now you look at this and think, dear God, they're actually going to maybe try and foist her on the Democratic Party in 2024 if Joe Biden doesn't run. And, and the only thought I can have on that front, Jesse, is clearly the powers inside of the Democratic Party and, and quite frankly, government just need another low IQ marionette as a placeholder so that they can actually do the real governing. And, and who better than Kamala Harris? Because she certainly wouldn't be doing much governing at all uh, if she were to run and win. And here's the other thing, Jesse, that's a little scary to me about this. If Biden doesn't run and she runs and somehow becomes the nominee, I think she could actually win the general in 2024 because Democrats have become much better at collecting ballots than we have. So we can laugh at her, and it is truly frightening, but I don't think we should underestimate what's what's taking place right now. And that's the reason for this discussion. And it's the reason why we should highlight her everywhere she goes and everywhere she speaks, because you need to know the threat that lies in front of us. We can sit here and wonder how she's the second best among us, but there is a legitimate threat and fear that she becomes the best among us. And what by that I mean the president, as Ned Ryan just said, the president of the United States. It's a legitimate threat. If Joe Biden can't survive, and there's a legitimate reason in the next few years to think that he can't finish his term, but even if he does, but doesn't run again, she could be the next president of the United States. There's a, there's a terrifying thought here. A woman who cannot define her job as vice president could be the president. Hold on. I think we missed the uh, answer there when we got the applause. Hold on. Basis as you have found it. One more time. What is the actual role on a daily basis as you have found it? Well, I have the great privilege of serving with Joe Biden, who was president of the United States. That was her answer to the question, what does the vice president do? Her answer was, I get to be working for Joe Biden, the president of the United States. Even Colbert was dumbfounded to the point where he had to follow up. United States. <laughs> right. right. That's an excellent answer. And uh, the question was, what is the job of the vice president? <laughs> Your answer is part of the job, I'm guessing. And her answer is... <laughs> Which is her answer to everything when she doesn't have an answer. Giggle like a lunatic. Giggle like 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 a mental patient. Colbert said, what do you do? She had no answer. I, I'm, I work for Joe Biden. Yeah, but what do you do? <laughs> That's what I do. I work for Joe Biden. My friends, this is a terrifying prospect. 
This really, really is. I don't know how it's going to shake out. Obviously, nobody does. But you better not sleep on the fact that Kamala Harris could very well be representing you as your president and commander-in-chief. 927, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 935. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. It's been a good week. A lot of really good conversations today. We have another good one coming up here in about a half an hour when we talk to Jonathan Broadbent protecting Ohio children north. And uh, also with Ohio Value Voters. Going to look forward to that conversation. Uh, and we've got something great to discuss, by the way, on that front. Thanks to the good people to our south, directly south. Uh, the legislators there, the Republican supermajority there, knows what they're doing, unlike the supermajority we have in the state of Ohio. And they uh, passed legislation last night to protect and defend children from physical mutilation, from bodily mutilation in a sweeping pro-child bill that the left is crying and screaming and playing stompy foot with, calling the anti-trans bill. Senate Bill 150 is not an anti-trans bill. It is a pro-child bill. It passed by a 30-7 to vote last night, despite screams and stompy foot and everything else from the LGBTQ activists, left-wing lawmakers. The governor, by the way, down there is a, is a lib who doesn't like children either, it would appear. He's going to veto that bill. But the overwhelming majority of the Republican legislature will override that veto, and that is a beautiful thing. Senate Bill 150 does a number of things. It uh, includes provisions that uh, require school districts to create explicit bathroom policies. Boys with boys, girls with girls. Just that simple. It bans gender-affirming care, otherwise known as physical mutilation and chemical castration by way of puberty blockers. It bans them for anyone under the age of 18. It includes surgical and non-surgical procedures. That is outstanding. Schools cannot discuss sexual orientation or gender identity with students, regardless of age. What a remarkable idea! How about that? Teach kids. Teach kids about science and math and English and history and let them grow up and develop their own personalities and have conversations about matters of sexual nature only with the exception of health class in which you teach actual human biology. You can teach anatomy. You can show them what a uterus is in a, in a female. And just note that it's in females. You can show them that testes belong to males and only males. You can teach about the reproductive system. You can talk about how babies are formed. That's okay. That's accepted. That's different than sexual orientation and gender identity with the intent of confusing kids. Kentucky's new bill also says if healthcare providers provide gender affirming care to minors, their license will be revoked. 
and gender-affirming care, mind you. They, you love how they always put a, a nice fancy label on it, like gender-affirming care. Care is a good thing, right? And Affirming means you're agreeing with and supporting the child. That's a good thing, too, right? But what gender-affirming care really means is chemical castration, puberty blockers, and ultimately physical mutilation. Try that to minors in Kentucky. You lose your medical license. Can you dig it? <laughs> The school district would also be forced to notify parents of any mental health services relating to human sexuality that are being provided to a child. So this is a phenomenally important development. Um, There are other states that are pushing bills similar to this. As far as I know, ours is not one of them. Ours is not one of them. As a matter of fact, that seems to be a common theme in this state, doesn't it? I've got another story here. 19 Republican governors have signed a statement decrying ESG proliferation, saying that it's a direct threat. ESG investing, uh, investing, as you know, woke investments, putting investment decisions in the hands of the, the woke mob. Um, ESG has been, is being, has been, and Jonathan Broadbent's going to talk about this too, has been uh, an extraordinarily dangerous development for people in this country, so much so that the governors of Florida, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, West Virginia, Virginia, and Wyoming are all signing the statement denouncing this ESG investing. You know what those states all have in common? They're red states. You know what Ohio is supposed to be? A red state. You know whose governor is notably absent from that list? Yeah, your governor, our governor. And now you know why we fought so hard to stop Governor No Spine from getting another term. 216-901-0945, Let's do some uh, talking now. And Sally and Berea is going to talk first. Sally, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Yay for Senate Bill 150. Ohio needs to step up to the plate and adopt, legislate something similar. Back to today, I'm part Irish, but I want to wish everybody a very happy St. Patrick's Day. That's more pleasant than Shakespeare's Ides of March on Wednesday. But I had also forgotten that Wednesday marked the return of the buzzards to Hickley. Yeah, it did. which, Which made me think about how Biden's policies have ravaged our country like a buzzard, from sea to sea and in the air, too, affecting the economy and every aspect of our daily functioning. Now, with the banking issue, I thought that depositors that at every bank were covered up to 250 k and that the smaller banks are very safe. I still believe that, but I, I do hope that they don't get um, swallowed up by the larger banks. I know the creditors would be okay, but I just worry about the banks. Uh, my local mm-hmm. community bankers are so friendly and helpful, and I hate it when the little guys don't get the breaks that the fat cats do. It reminds me of the movie with Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. And like in the pandemic, when 
quote, essential businesses went down after 30, 40, or 50 years. So I'm hoping that nobody's going to panic and that all the banks will be safe. And if you have any more information on that, I welcome it. Thanks, Bob. You got it. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, thank you so much. And by the way, the comparison of Joe Biden to a buzzard uh, picking uh, at uh, the carcass of this country uh, is a pretty good one. The only thing I would add to that, by the way, if you are a, a person of my generation or earlier and you are a Looney Tunes fan, uh, Bugs Bunny, do you remember Do you remember the buzzard, the dorky, gawky, goofy you know, <laughs> that's the Joe Biden buzzard. If he's a buzzard, he's that one. I, I, I'll place, I'll find something. I'll play it for you later when I can find it. But uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, yes, I appreciate your your points on the bank as well and the banks on as well. I don't know about you, but I was less than inspired by Janet Yellen before the Senate Finance Committee yesterday. Um, she continues to deny that deficit spending is leading to inflation. It is. She continues to say that there's no bank bailout. There is. Uh, and it, but, but it is going to leave a whole lot of people holding the bag. There is no question about it. And meanwhile, this is off the topic slightly, but if you do decide, I'm worried. I'm worried about my money being protected and my money being saved, that my deposits will be able to be recovered whenever I want to. And so I'm going to take them out now. Mark Kelly, a Democrat senator from Arizona, and I talked about this yesterday with Patrick Wood from Citizens for Free Speech, our, our director, uh, who is in Arizona. Um, he doesn't want you even thinking about moving your money. He doesn't want you to even talk about it. And he doesn't want anybody else to get the idea of taking your money out of the bank either. So much so that he asked this week uh, in an open session whether or not there was some kind of rule or law in place that would require social media companies to shut down the accounts of people who are talking about making a run on the banks. To shut down anybody from even talking about it, suggesting it, maybe asking other people if they're going to do it, if they feel like their money is safe, or if they need to get their money out of the banks. Uh, he wants to silence you. So in addition to removing your right to do what you want with your money, he wants to remove your right to talk about it by way of the First Amendment. So, no, I am not reassured at all by what we have seen thus far with respect to these collapsing banks uh, and their attempts to, to stop the American people from protecting themselves. Great call to start the morning. Uh, Jack is on the far east side now on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. You know, uh, if you play that tackling Yenta Harris one more time, I'm going to have to go to the dentist from grinding my teeth. I've had enough of her. I really have had enough of her. It's rough, isn't it? It very is. Now, I was born in 1952, so I'm 70 years old going on 71. Okay. I'm going to explain something to you. You know, um... In the 50s, this was a good country, regardless of the of the Korean War and all that mess. It was still a good country. I had a nice time growing up here in this country. I love my country. Mm-hmm. I've always loved my country. I went to good schools. I had good good associates and everything that I dealt with every day. I dealt with older people that were older than me, so I could learn something. Mm-hmm. And here's something that I, that's got me by the by the head like a like a rock. Why is it that this country would allow a a self hating a uh, 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 Jew in here by the name of George Soros, who ran over and bamboozled his own people in death camps out of their land and sold it to the Nazis, and then after the war went over to to, to uh, Great Britain and tried to bankrupt them out of their sterling, and then they let him in here, and now he's running these terrorist groups. Can you explain that to me? Why he's letting? Why this government is allowing uh, uh, this uh, 
uh, Black Lives Matter and this other crap that's out here to, to destroy buildings and stuff and do what they're doing. I can't get that. And here's the thing I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the point about. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get to you the other day. The fact remains, all these so-called big-time woof-woof militiamen in this country, they're all sitting on their behinds in their living rooms, polishing their rifles, drinking a fresh bottle of Baker's Mark, and patting their wives on the behind. And that's all they're doing. They're doing nothing. We don't even have our own groups to go back out, out after in the streets to fight back against these people. I think it's a disgrace and it's a shame of the so-called uh, a conservative party in this country not to even stand up and fight back. Well, Jack, I'll tell you what, my friend. I appreciate your call. You, uh, you listen in. I'll try to respond to some of what you just said. There's a lot to unpack there, too. With respect to Soros, you know the answer. <clears throat> George Soros is a globalist. George Soros is supported by and in cahoots with many other globalists in the World Economic Forum, in the World Health Organization, uh, with the Gates Family Foundation, and obviously uh, his Open Society uh, Foundation. George Soros is a globalist, and you're saying, well, how can this administration let him, you know, run rampant through this country and and do all of the damage that he's doing and and you know the answer to the question is that this country is also run at least at this moment in time by globalists who literally think that nationalism is a dirty word remember when president trump called himself a nationalist and they immediately said oh trump is a racist he's a nationalist they associate nationalist with being white nationalist and therefore anti-brown and black people around the rest of the world Nationalist simply means I put my nation first. I put the needs of other neighbors and allies and friends around the globe second. Just like every single one of us does. If your house was on fire and so was your next door neighbors, you are rescuing your family first. And if you can get through the door of the neighbors to rescue them before the building hits the ground, then you do it after. Being a nationalist should mean simply you are, are, are America first, not a globalist, which means we want to deconstruct independent, strong nations like the United States, Western nations in particular, deconstruct them so that they submit to the will of the globalist government, a one-world government run by people like Tedros and, yes, George Soros. So that's the first part. The second part, I'm glad you brought up. You said, where are all of the men? They're sitting home polishing their rifles, drinking their whiskey, and patting their wife on the rear end, and they're doing nothing to protect this country. Where are the militias? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because today um, at uh, 5 o'clock, I'm going to be the guest of Dr. Sebastian Gorka for the Manhood Hour. And um, if you listen to Dr. G, he's had some remarkable, strong men on that program talking about masculinity in America, talking about what men need to do in America, talk about what happened and why men in America have gotten so weak, what what the future portends, all of those kinds of things. At least that's what I'm expecting because I've listened to him before. But I'm going to be the guest there, and, and we'll see how it goes. But I will tell you, much of what you just said is true And the fact that they're polishing their rifles and preparing but not yet acting is probably a good thing. I would not be calling at this moment in time when there there are still opportunities for us to peacefully, diplomatically, and legislatively at all levels of government, not just federal, 
but legislatively in your community, in your state, and yes, in the in the federal government, um, there is a chance for us to turn around the deconstruction of this country. It was turned around for four years when we elected Trump. I think it can be turned around again in short order if we elect somebody who isn't Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or whatever the left Marxists are going to throw up there this time around. It's not time for them to do anything with their rifles but polish them. It is my fervent hope that we never have to form militias and literally engage in another revolutionary war against a government that has grown so tyrannical and powerful that the people have been subjugated to the point where instead of the government working for them, the government controls them. So I, I wouldn't fret yet. I would, I would rather do the glass half full thing in here and say, here and say, if they're polishing their rifles, that means they have their rifles. For now, they have their arms. And for now, they have the ability to continue to build and grow uh, whatever in whatever manner they believe is right for them, their ability to defend themselves against whatever threats that may come, including foreign and domestic, including criminals and perhaps tyrants. That's their job right now is get themselves ready. But it's not time to act on anything yet. We have plenty of opportunities to do things, as I said, diplomatically and legislatively and, yes, electorally to right this ship and to try to stop this uh, glorious, glorious democratic republic that we that we have, this constitutional republic that we have from deteriorating any further. But, Jack, I love your passion, and I love your call, and I love your questions. Keep those kind of things coming. 216-901-0945. Right back. Nine fifty-five, always right radio. Jonathan Broadbent from uh, Protect Ohio Children North going to join us. We're going to ask him about that Kentucky bill, which is phenomenal. But we're going to talk to him about some less phenomenal things going on in Ohio schools, in the Ohio education realm. Uh, Jonathan always has a tremendous story to tell because he's also got some tremendous insights and advice to offer. Uh, BJ, next in North Olmstead. Hello, BJ. Go ahead, sir. Robert, we spoke about this several weeks ago. I told you to be aware of these things that are coming down the line, and you're very in tune with what's taking place right now. And I had mentioned that June was going to be a major, major month to be aware of. It might be before that, for into March. But there is an awakening taking place, and, and sadly, I think there, I think the sad part is, who in the hell is trying to provoke this revolution in this country to turn it over. And I think we're going to get more serious about who this group of people are, what their motive is, and their motive is the one world government. I, I am very, very strongly convinced that's the case. I'm also very hopeful, and you mentioned it. I think a lot of the GIs are waking up. I think that's coming down the line. And Americans are going to get fed up with this political stuff going on. We live in a beautiful country and, and a wonderful, wonderful opportunity in this country. And these people want to screw it up. And they're not going to get away with it. And it's your generation. It's your generation that's going to make that difference and wake people up. But we're coming into a storm of awareness that we need very, very seriously But I've got to tell you, I've seen this country pull through a lot of strange things. And this is going to be a tough one. 
but it's going to it's going to change the perspective of the American public of what government is doing to the people of this country, and I love this country. Thank you for your time, Bob. God bless you. Yeah, thank you, BJ, and I agree. Uh, it's going to be somewhat my generation. It's going to be the one directly behind me as well, and I'm kind of close to it. I'm kind of on the tail end of Gen Z, uh, but then uh, you know the millennial generation behind me is a different generation. The Gen Z behind them is a different generation yet. They are the ones who are in most danger of being indoctrinated to have you know, no recollection whatsoever of what freedom, liberty, and this constitutional republic look like. I know. I've lived through it, so I kind of know what we have to fight to get back. We know exactly what it would take. Um, but the generation behind those a little bit less, still some. The generation that's coming up now, these Gen Zers don't have any clue. And they don't have leaders, and they don't have people that they can trust to show them. So it is absolutely going to be an uphill fight. But it's one that I believe will, and that's my message, and I'm going to give that to Dr. Gorka this afternoon. It's going to take strong, what the left likes to call toxically masculine men, to rebound and revive uh, what constitutional liberty looks like in this country. We're going to have to band together and fight the fight until the fight is won. And there is no other alternative to that. That's the reality. By the way, I wanted to hit this just simply because uh, uh, the previous caller, I think it was Sally Ambria, said that Joe Biden's like a buzzard, if only if it's this particular buzzard. Why, killer, what are you waiting for? Get a move on. Get going. Scram. No, 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 Huh? Well, at least go out and get a little rabbit or something. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, uh, no, 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 I don't want to, no, no. And by the way, let's, let's watch him for a I'll watch you listen. Okay, Mr. President. That doesn't define Joe Biden. I don't know what does. And the sad reality is Gen Z will never know about Killer the Buzzard because you're not allowed to watch those non-PC cartoons anymore. We'll be back with Jonathan Broadbent joining us after the break on 1420 years. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob Friends on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway. It is nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Always Right Radio on this Friday, the 17th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And that makes it St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day to Mr. Scream. Happy St. Patrick's Day to Mrs. Scream. And happy St. Patrick's Day to uh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> all right, how about all of that? Does it have to be? I'm not playing that. It's, it's caught in a loop. And 
I think the only reason I think the only reason that loop happened is because the previous caller said, "Please, no more of Kamala Harris giggling." I can't stand Kamala Harris's giggle any longer. The refugee system is essentially not set up for this; that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> okay, I, yeah, I can first. Okay, so this time. Szanowna pani redaktor. Welcome to uh, the land of the insane. Um, okay, so uh, it is. Uh, it is a free-for-all Friday, but I did want to bring a direction to this particular conversation. I read a post on Facebook on the Protect Ohio North uh, Children. I'm sorry, Protect Ohio Children North page, uh, a group that I belong to because I support their efforts wholeheartedly in trying to stop the indoctrination of children in a variety of ways in Ohio's schools. That's what the group is all about. This particular post was written by Jonathan Broadbent, who is one of the leaders of Protect Ohio Children North, as well as with Ohio Value Voters. And I'm going to read a portion of it, and then I'm going to ask Jonathan to join us and talk about what this means going forward. The, the post that he shared came from, he says, an educational-aware parent. And he quoted this parent directly. Get your kids out. Parents, look and listen. The districts are telling you and showing you exactly what they're doing. Every aspect of the ESG initiative is present in our district. Politics and social justice initiatives have saturated the education system. The superintendents are receiving guidance around it. The board attends conferences promoting it. The teachers receive training on it, and it is integrated into classrooms where your children sit to learn about it. The same applies to athletics. The OHSAA provides policy and guidance to athletic directors on it. The coaches receive training on it, and your children sit through presentations about it. They are saying loud and clear, the purpose of the public education system is to promote the collective good and to provide employers with workers who possess the desired attributes. If the UN has implemented their sustainable goals and the U.S. has embraced a plan to reimagine the education system for our children, how can we be naive to think it's not happening now with our children? The purpose of the education system has changed and the system has a very large captive market with which it can very well produce its desired outcomes. So that was what Jonathan posted on the Protect Ohio Children North page, and he joins us now to analyze this. Uh, Jonathan, first of all, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. How are you, sir? To you as well, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm well. All things considered. Yeah, right? <laughs> all things considered. It's, Secondly... You know, there's, there's a, a post that was that I put out just prior to that, Mm-hmm. that talks about PTSD. I call it post-traumatic schools disorder. Those of us who are in this fight over schools, are we are constantly exposed to a barrage of, of endless filth, it seems like. And it's just madness. It's anything but education. And you're, you're, you're spot on with concern about what's happening in, in our public schools, or I call them government schools now. And, I, Bob, I'll tell you, I, I feel like I'm about... 10 miles deep in this rabbit hole warren of what is happening in government schools. They have turned away from education. We've caught them, and starting uh, about a year ago, the, the, um, 
people started pushing back and asking, where the heck is education? Where's academic proficiency? And then there was this hard left pivot in schools where they will talk about quite literally about anything except education. Well, Jonathan, that's a strong opening statement. And by the way, I love your PTSD uh, uh, line because I think that's accurate. And when you said that we're surrounded by filth, we are, and so are our children, which is why we fight. But we're also surrounded by the hate that comes along with it for us trying to stop and protect them from it. We're, we're, we're castigated, we're ostracized, we're called uh, bigots, and we're called homophobes and, 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 and racists and all the other things that go along with, uh, with taking a stand like this. And I can imagine it does produce some trauma. Some, some people, and I'm no, di- no psychiatrist, psychologist, or doctor of any kind, but, but I believe that some people suffer post-traumatic stress without even knowing that they have post-traumatic stress. They don't have it diagnosed, but they do suffer from it, and maybe it's subconscious. And I guarantee you there are a lot of people who fight this fight with us who feel uh, maybe the pangs of that post-traumatic school disorder, as you call it, and don't even realize how much it's actually affecting their minds. Um, so it's good to put a... Uh, to put a you know a, a phrase to that or a or a statement to that. So Jonathan, this friend <clears throat> that you uh, spoke with, this education aware parent, is spot on. Uh, they're just saying, look, um, yeah, you can continue to try to fix the school boards, but you're pushing up against a system in which the school board members are being uh, trained on this. You can push back against administrators and teachers and tell them you don't want this taught, that taught, but they are being trained on how to deal with you as well as to indoctrinate your kids. So basically, your 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 parent friend said it's really too late for any of that. Get them out and get them out now. The question is, is yep. get them out to where, Jonathan? Because we all know private schools, or which are not the quote-unquote government schools, many of them, if not a lot of them, if not the majority of them, aren't much better, are they? Well, it's hit or miss with, with a lot of these parochial schools. But I'll tell you what, let me start off with some really good news. And I'm going to share with you, I've said this a few times on the air with you, Bob, there are some great signs of hope. One is a front-page article from a recent Epic Times that shows that um, 1.4 million new students have left government schools and gone elsewhere. There's also the statistic, I don't have updated numbers, so these these are from about maybe a year ago, but according to the John Birch Society and Freedom Project Academy, the increase in home education primarily Leading the charge is the black community. Black America is leading the charge from roughly 3% to roughly 16% home educated. Um, as far as where people go once they leave the government schools, the, the choices are really opening up and expanding massively. It's going to take some time for, for this new kind of educational alternative infrastructure to build itself, but it's building really rapidly, Bob. There are all kinds of micro schools, community uh, education pods. Uh, there's a there's a group near me that that focuses on home educated um, homeschooled families. That has uh, they call it the Learning Cafe. I'm out in Geauga County, but around Lake Geauga County, uh, that's to the uh, to the east of Cleveland. Um, or in this area, this Learning Cafe is just this sort of week-long open door and you can sign your kids up there are teachers there you can drop your kids off for study um there are all kinds of things like that bob that are that are opening up 
and it's um what's the expression i'm looking for the the um a necessity is the mother of invention there is a, a growing recognition that our government schools are broken and there are all kinds of resources that are coming online that are opening up to provide alternative and as far as that comment i i reposted those comments from a parent and that's just it's one of a, a vast array that i get pretty much daily uh from really concerned parents but the thing is when you get into the weeds what's happening in government schools it's it's mind-boggling it is an entire system of indoctrination in everywhere you turn from the the law firms and lawyers who counsel the administrators in schools to the ones that coach school board members to uh the those quote unquote uh continuing education days for teachers to the teacher colleges everything is built around this net with this 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 um corrupting mentality that the purpose of these schools is not to educate but to indoctrinate that is very clear, and it's in a variety of ways, which we've discussed, many of which we've discussed, many of which you talk about uh, at Protect Our Children North on online and, and in uh, conferences and, and, and presentations and, sort of, and other things elsewhere. Um, I want to ask you about the ESG par- portion of this. Um, I, I talked about this in the first hour. Nineteen governors, all Republican governors, uh, I won't read the states again, but all signed a statement denouncing ESG investing uh, because of its threat to the U.S. economy and to individual liberty. And obviously, ESG is even promoted in our schools as well. Um, not- notable by his absence is the name of Mike DeWine. Um, in the state of Ohio, is there enough awareness, in your opinion, and I know you do woke investing, and we can talk about that too, uh, or unwoke investing, I should say, uh, is is there enough awareness in the state of Ohio of the threat of ESG investing? Do they understand what it means in our educational system? Do they understand what it means in our banking system? Not nearly, no. And even in those states that are fighting it, there's a lot of infighting even within the Republican Party and confusion about what it truly means. And just, Bob, if you'll, if you'll um, forgive me for a moment, I want to make a brief comment I, I, among all the other things that I'm under attack for, um, I, in the past, was invited to help a company develop uh, that focuses on ESGs. In 2015, I helped a company to grow and uh, develop in the, the ESG marketplace. This was back when ESG was emerging out of its predecessor, Socially Responsible Investing. And at the time, nobody really knew, uh, I didn't know where it was headed. The moment I understood where ESG was headed and what it represents, I broke ties with that company. I never got paid anything, by the way. There's no money exchange, no nothing. Okay. Among all the companies that I've been asked to help, um, I helped this company based out of Southern California uh, for no money. But um, But I think that the reason that that's happened and what I'm what I'm doing out of that experience is leveraging my understanding and and um, deep access to ESG analytics and things like it to expose it so out of that I'm making good out of a bad experience and I started something called unwoke investing 
and I've partnered with a company called um, Second Vote. Hit both of them up. Um, second, Unwoke Investing is just a free and open resource to try and spread information about the woke left ESG influence on the world of finance. And now we've got all these great partner groups um, like banks and insurance companies that are all starting to form in this sort of parallel structure uh, environment to fight back and and cancel the cancel culture, if you will. Uh, so that's one of the ways that I'm trying to get messaging out to states like Ohio, and we're talking to Arizona and many other states and individuals about the influence uh, that ESG portends for um, for our future generations. But let's tie that back in with education, because if you just simply roll out ESG and say, okay, everybody's now subject to a social credit system, folks like you and I, Bob, we're going to balk. There's no way that we want it. We, we're just going to uh, we're going to turn it off, delete the app, whatever. But if they can embed it in education and train the next generation to want it, then they will have accomplished what I call social communism, and they will have a China-style, Chinese Communist Party-style ESG system with social credit attached, and they will have kids in America and Western uh, society clamoring for the darn stuff. That's why it's in education, and that's why we need to fight now and get exposure to our children turned off on all this uh, woke left ESG nonsense in schools. We're talking to Jonathan Broadbent. He is one of the uh, leaders and organizers of Protect Ohio Children North. He is also a, a strong supporter and member of Ohio Value Voters. We're talking about protecting kids against the ongoing threats in our schools and the ESG, along with CRT and SEL and uh, so much more. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to take a time out here. We'll, we'll come right back and talk just a little bit more. Okay, it's 1026. We continue with Jonathan Broadbent, uh, Protect Ohio Children North. Jonathan, let's go back to some of the uh, indoctrination of children and, yes, the endangering of children by way of allowing uh, biological boys and girls to share the same restroom, shower room, and locker room facilities. In Mentor, they just had a school board meeting earlier this week. You reported on it, as did many others. And Mentor decided to vote three to two on their school board to allow boys into girls' facilities. But uh, don't worry, there won't be any fake boys in there trying to get a sneak peek or worse to actually uh, uh, harass or molest the girls because they're going to be honest, right? This is what the uh, superintendent said. Aided says. in the decision to put this on the agenda. And Mr. Heath, I'm hoping that you can answer them for me. You had mentioned that, you know, if we have a child that is. Um, using the bathroom, let's say a biological boy that's using the girl's bathroom, um, that if they are not transgender, that then they would have the appropriate disciplinary action. So if we don't automatically, immediately contact their parents per the updated guidelines that you shared today, how do we go about that? How do we know what, if they're transgender? Well, in that situation, not? that student's going to share with the administrator that's you know, they're not transgender. There's going to be a conversation with that parent immediately because of the discipline. So that's up to the student to decide, not up to the parent. So if the student says they're transgender, we are going with that. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. Yeah. 
There it is. Uh, so a student can basically just write his own rules or her own rules, depending on the circumstances, and the uh, teachers and administrators are just going to have to accept that. Jonathan, did I get that right? Yeah, that's uh, Mentor is one of many schools around here that's uh, kind of a woke left nightmare. Uh, but the the thing that's come out of that, and your your coverage of it was spot on and a great recap, is a three to two vote against sanity in locker and restroom use in mentor schools. But the the great thing, Bob, that's come out of that, and I saw it in the lead up, and I definitely saw it in the follow-up to that school board meeting, is the right awareness and attitude of the, the residents of mentor. So mentor are organized, the parents see it, and they're fighting back. And they're very, very aware of the issues that they face in mentor schools. So immediately following that school board meeting, the message was shared around mentor that the silver lining to that vote is the community now knows their target. Those three people need to be replaced. That school board needs to be flipped. And the, the, um, the awareness, the tenacity with which mentor is now um, going about replacing, I think they have two of the, they have two seats available Mm -hmm. uh, in this upcoming, this year's election. But now the heat is on and the community is rallying behind the message to replace those woke school board members. So hopefully there's silver lining to this thing. In the meantime, obviously we hope that no harm comes to any child or there isn't another event like that a uh, boy that went into the high school girls' bathroom and mentor. I don't know if you saw that video. That's a that's an atrocious nightmare. There no, just uh, for your listeners' sake, no adults showed up. There was no help. There were a bunch of girls left to their own to defend themselves in the girls' bathroom with some boy who just ventured in there and challenged them and just stood around uh, in their cameras. And the girls are shouting at him. It, it's. I can't believe we've gotten to this point, but here we are. And I think the the only thing we can do with issues like this, uh, as we see it manifest in Mentor, is exactly what Mentor is doing. Recognize the issue and set a plan to fix it. And that is, first and foremost, the upcoming elections get rid of the woke left school board members, replace them with what I call education-aware school board members. Jonathan Broadbent is fighting very, very hard at great personal cost, uh, along with a lot of other people with Protect Ohio Children. So, uh, Jonathan, my deepest respect for you uh, and my my pledge to work with you because um, I know so many others who will organize like the Mentor Parents did, like some of the community members did, identifying the enemies, uh, strategizing and planning how to remove the enemies and returning childhood to our children rather than this sexualized uh, nightmare that they're being that is being pushed upon them as we speak. Keep up the great work my friend we'll talk to you again very soon sounds good thanks bob jonathan broadbent joining us we'll take a time out of here for news we'll have another open segment or two before we talk to pastor chris long at the top of the hour so if you want to dial do it now 216-901-0945 we'll be back against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France.
on the answer. Yes, indeed. Let it play a little bit there. Ah, yes, and Patty's there. Glorious time, great day, great fun, a lot of uh, revelry. Be safe, though, no matter what you're doing. Turn it up. Give me a mood a little bit. I don't drink, but uh, I'll tell you what, this is uh, this is an awful lot of fun. Uh, it sounds like an awful You know what else is an awful lot of fun? Uh, the the uh, event that's going on tonight, I guess, right, at the Summer House? Is, is this tonight? What, is, what does Tom Kelly have for us here? Hold on a second. Let, let, me, uh, let me share this. We're going to play? We're going to play? We're not going to play. We cannot play it for some reason. My store, my... Uh, uh, my uh, cloud storage is somehow jacked up, and it's not going to allow this to be played. I'm going to give it one more shot here, though, before I before I uh, cave in on it. Well, it's St. Patrick's Day week in Cleveland. You better make your plans now. This is one of the great cities in the world for St. Patrick's Day. In the daytime, everyone will be at the St. Patrick's Day parade with the marchers and the floats and the music. But what about in the evening? You can't do any better than the Summer House. There's a dinner special featuring the best corned beef this side of Dublin, all the trimmings, and live Irish music all night with the famous Ethan Oleus at the Grand Piano. It'll be a great St. Patrick's Day evening for adults. The Summer House, Friday, March 17th, 6 to 11 p.m. You should call now for reservations. It's going to be packed. 216-270-2300. Thanks for sharing there, uh, Thomas Kelly. Anybody know what nationality Thomas? John? Hey, just any, any, any. Is, is John, is, 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 is Tom Kelly Irish? I wouldn't, wouldn't have guessed that with a name like Kelly. No, not at all. Did you know, and how old were you when you found out that St. Patrick was not Irish? That St. Patrick himself was Italian. Did you know that? No Talking to you, John. Turn your mic on. Yeah, Saint I had Patrick, no idea. The patron, it's, I, I did not know that either until like about a year ago or two years ago, one of these most recent St. Patrick's Day. Italians are claiming St. Patrick as their own, that he was indeed Italian. It's been disp- disputed and debated, but it was uh, essentially decided, as I understand it, um, as as recently as a couple of years ago, at least for people like me who didn't pay much attention to it. St. Patrick was from Italy, uh, or at least was Italian in ethnicity. St. Patrick's Day is a traditional celebration, usually held on March 17th this year, celebrated worldwide. Um, seems that everyone fancies themselves as being somewhat Irish on that day. According to a popular legend, however, the reason this day is so immensely celebrated is due to... Oh, now it went ahead and flipped on me. Hold on a second here. I want to read the rest of this if I can. Uh, is due to the belief that St. Patrick rid Ireland of snakes. Curiously enough, it is reported that no snakes had been in Ireland since the last Ice Age, but knowing that he entered the church, the snakes might be a metaphor for any non-church worshippers, like pagans and serpent gods and other believers. It is also said that he worked and lived for 40 years, dedicating his entire life to spreading the gospel and living in poverty. Died March 17th, 461 in Saul, where he established and built his first church. Um, 
where is my evidence, or at least the reference in this particular page, to his Italian uh, heritage. And for some reason, I cannot... Here it is. Um, One of the... uh, Let's see here. Do you know that St. Patrick was never canonized by a pope? Begs the question of the authenticity of his saintly status. Um, St. Patrick's lineage does include Italian, according to what it says, ancestry. So were Italians robbed of the honors of St. Patrick's Day, which which is a traditional celebration of the Irish culture? Uh, Some can make up their own minds on this, but one thing is for certain. Italians also have a stake in this claim. So there it is. If you look on Facebook, that's what made me bring this up again, because I was uh, browsing Facebook during the last break, during the bottom of the hour news. Um, uh, Italians everywhere are claiming uh, St. Patrick. And saying, saying this is an Irish holiday, but remember, St. Patrick himself was Italian. So uh, I'd only started hearing this last year, year before, whatever it was. Never made much of a big deal of it, but on St. Patrick's Day, uh, it is something to uh, to recognize. Because this is all about green, this is all about Ireland, and it's all about Irish. And Tom Kelly will tell you, as he goes to the summer house, it's all about that. But Italians have their claim, too. So there you go. Anybody who is um, Irish or Italian... Who has any history on this they want to share with us or an argument or a point to be made on this, by all means, we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. Clear it up as much as you can. Was St. Patrick Italian, partially Italian? Uh, According to, now this is Wikipedia, but he was born in Roman or sub-Roman Britain, died in Ireland. So again, there's the Roman connection to it, to Italy. Uh, So that's a Wikipedia discussion. So if you've got... uh, uh, if you've got some answers for that and uh, you want to either claim or, 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 I'm sorry, you either want to prove or disprove that theory, we will certainly take your phone calls. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Okay, I want to pivot back to uh, one of the previous discussions we were just having with uh, our friend Jonathan Broadbent about protection of children from indoctrination in our schools and worse, protecting our children from people trying to literally stick their their hands inside of not literally that would be figuratively figuratively stick their hands inside the minds of young confused kids and twist them around and and mash their their preformative brains around and put them into a position that they wish and there was a massive pushback against that in a lot of places and i want to celebrate one of them which i started to do earlier and that is down in kentucky there was a bill in Kentucky, if you just turn this on, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to be, I mean, I'll give you as much as I can without being too redundant for those who have been listening since we started this morning. But there was a bill in Kentucky that was on the verge of being defeated. It was being pushed back against uh, very, very heavily by the LGBTQ community, the leftist community, uh, the Democrat uh, leaders down there, some of the Democrat leaders down there, saying that this was going to lead to a massive spike in suicides among young, confused trans kids. First of all, the idea that there are that many trans kids is should be just immediately an end of the conversation because, as we all know, that the number of people with actual gender dysphoria is so tiny and insignificant, it's, it's hard to even quantify. The rest of these are social contagions being pushed by radicals in a political movement. But they say that all of these trans kids, this massive number of them, are going to be in danger of suicide, so they pushed back on this bill, Senate Bill 150, and declared that it would be too harmful to the trans kids. Well, the lawmakers, the legislature in the state of Kentucky, uh, saw things differently. As a matter of fact, a Republican majority passed a massive pro-children 
bill that the left is calling an anti-trans bill, 30 to 7 late last night. The amended version of Senate Bill 150, which originally required schools to use the students' pronouns based on their biological sex, was altered a little bit, but it was pushed through by a massive majority. If a transgender student wants to use pronouns opposite of what their biological sex is, the school must notify their parents beforehand. So parents have a say in how their child is being developed. How about that? What a shocker. What a, what a crazy idea, right? The amended bill also included language from other uh, pro-child, but what they are calling anti-LGBTQ bills, House Bill 470, which bans, quote, gender-affirming care for trans youth. And being anti-gender-affirming care means being pro-youth, because gender-affirming care is destructive. Gender-affirming care is is um, manipulative. Gender-affirming care is adding to the confusion. Gender-affirming care is harming children, turning them into lifetime patients for gracious and very happy and appreciative physicians, particularly plastic surgeons and, uh, and, and others involved in the phony Dr. Frankenstein science of trying to turn a male into a female and a female into a male. So the amended bill um, requires school districts to create explicit bathroom policies, boys and boys, girls and girls, no crossing over, bans gender-affirming care or child mutilation or puberty blockers, for children under 18, which means all children, period, because 18 is adult. Schools cannot discuss sexual orientation or gender identity with students. That should be between the students and their parents, or, if need be, with their therapist. It is not something that teachers should be getting involved in. If you have a math degree, congratulations. You are not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You're teaching math for a reason. That's your area of expertise, for example. If healthcare providers provide gender affirming care, otherwise known as puberty blockers or mutilation, uh, the providers will lose their medical license. If a school district, or excuse me, a school district would be required to notify parents of any mental health services being given to or offered to students regarding human sexuality. So early in the afternoon yesterday, the bill has to, uh, the bill passed a House committee vote 15 to 6. Many on the left, were visibly outraged. Some of the lawmakers were in tears. How can you not let us carve up the bodies of these kids and 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 take parts of their bodies and and refashion them into new parts of different bodies and and cutting off healthy organs like breasts? We want to be able to cut them off. We want to be able to chop off the genitalia of little boys. How can you? dare stop us from doing this they're crying over a bill that says don't mutilate kids if you boil it down that's where you land let's just boil it down to its most simplistic form one side wants to take a confused child who isn't even allowed to go to see an R-rated movie because they're too young and immature to handle an R-rated movie without parent. But they want these kids to be able to make decisions to permanently destroy their bodies because unlike the lies that they tell, puberty blockers are irreversible. 
You can't regain and restart your puberty. And the physical surgeries are obviously irreversible. So this is what we're talking about. They're in tears because lawmakers and reasonable, rational people don't want children being mutilated. If you boil it down to that, one side wants to be able to mutilate kids who are not old enough to make a decision to be mutilated. They're not old enough to make a decision on a tattoo, for crying out loud. They're not old enough to make a decision on going to see an R-rated movie. They're not old enough to make a decision on whether or not they want to have sex. They're not old enough to make a decision to uh, cast a vote for a, a presidential or a mayoral candidate. They're not old enough to make a decision on whether or not they want to sign a binding contract. We don't let kids make permanent decisions or decisions of great importance because their brains are not ready to handle that. Yet these lawmakers in Kentucky and elsewhere were crying that the kids couldn't make the call as whether or not they wanted to have their blanks chopped off. Are you kidding? In a statewide Mason-Dixon poll released by the Fairness Campaign, they claim that 71% of registered Kentucky voters oppose bills that allow the state to overrule parents' decisions to obtain certain health care for their transgender teenagers, such as medicines that regulate the onset of puberty. Those are called puberty blockers. They want you to believe that 71% do not want the state to overrule parents' decisions to allow their uh, their their teenage or their uh, uh, their minor children to start these life altering forever treatments slash uh, mutilations. That's an astounding statistic, and it's an astounding claim. And it is also very very reassuring that it was not even close. That when the left wing governor down in Kentucky vetoes that bill that just went through, it will be overridden by a strong conservative majority that says we will not bow to the mutilate kids LGBTQ lobby. We will protect and defend children and their bodies as being what they are in God's image. And that doesn't mean we're making this a religious issue. But the fact remains that God made human beings as either one or the other. That's it. Made There are only two genders. God made children and and thus adults as male or female, and that's it. And to try to confuse little kids that these things are interchangeable and you can switch from one to the other, or you can be neither, be non-binary, or you can be both, depending on the day, and all of the rest of this nonsense is just, it's it's in contravention to everything we know about human biology. Human chromosomal science, human anatomy, human physiology, genetic science, DNA science, all of it. So it's not about religion, but the reality is that, yes, the human body was designed and created by God in two forms, male and female, and that is all. I'll be right back. One, two, three, four! Okay, 1057, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Um, 
We've got uh, Chris Long, Pastor Chris Long, who's got an important event on Monday night to promote. He's going to be joining us. He's the president of the uh, Cleveland, or excuse me, of the uh, uh, Ohio Christian Alliance, and so we're looking forward to that conversation. But in between now and then, I want to share something with you. Have you yet downloaded or subscribed to True Blue? Uh, that is my uh, where my new television, a streaming television program called True Blue Today airs. Um, new episodes are dropped twice a week. The most recent episode featured commentary on violent crime in violent cities and whether or not we are turning our way past that by getting rid of politicians and soft-on-crime leaders that have allowed this to happen. The point today is that almost everyone has their breaking point. And yes, everyone's breaking point is just a little bit different from everyone else's, and sometimes we can't even identify where our own breaking point is. But the reality is that eventually we all reach a threshold where we decide that some things simply cannot continue in the way they are. In relationships, the breaking point for one or both parties leads to what? Separations or divorces. Well, in cities where the bullets fly through the air more frequently than even F-bombs do, the breaking point leads to mayors being fired. And that's exactly what happened in the third most populated city in the country, when Chicago voters decided to bounce the ineffective, thin-skinned Lori Lightfoot from her office. Now, the mayor tried her best to play identity politics and trying to explain away the voters' decision to make her the city's first incumbent mayor in 40 years to lose re-election. She claimed that her race, her sex, and her sexual orientation cost her the job. Some people, she argued, just weren't ready for someone like her. Now, that argument is ridiculous because, of course, it was the very same voters she is now calling bigoted who elected her four years ago. So unless she went from being a straight white male in 2019 to a gay black female in 2023, then it's pretty hard to blame voters for being intolerant of her identity. The reality is voters became intolerant of her casual attitude toward the city's out-of-control violent crime epidemic. Under her failed leadership, the city of Chicago recorded 695 murders in 2022, after suffering 804 homicides in 2021. Those were numbers not seen in the city in more than 25 years. Additionally, there were more than 20,000 cases of theft last year, nearly doubling the total from 2021. And in the first three months of 2023, Chicago crime rates have skyrocketed by 61% compared to last year. Obviously, we did not win the election today, Lightfoot said after her defeat, but I stand here with my head held high. And of course, she was able to do so because as mayor, she has been protected secretly by a specialist squad of more than 70 police officers. But without such special security, Lightfoot's constituents in the Windy City are smart enough to know that the best way to survive in public is to keep your head down, low, and always on the lookout for crossfire. And if you think that's an exaggeration, consider this. Along with the 665 homicides in Chicago in the 2022 calendar year, there were nearly 3,000 more people shot and wounded. Adding those 2,937 shooting victims to the 665 fatalities, we get 3,602 people who took at least one bullet in Lori Lightfoot, Chicago. I'll pause here and let you marinate in those numbers for a moment. Chicago is a shooting gallery. Now, Paul Vallis won a strong majority of the votes in the city's primary, and he'll be favored in the April 4th runoff against Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson because Vallis built his entire campaign around a tough-on-crime theme. 
And he carries the endorsement of the Chicago FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Which brings us to the question, will the voters of Chicago, who finally reached their breaking point in removing a mayor who seemed less than interested in dealing with the violent crime problem in her city, lead voters in similarly violent metropolitan areas to do the same thing? In other words, is Chicago's decision to support a moderate mayoral candidate who ran on a platform of more cops and more public safety the start of a reckoning for soft-on-crime city leaders elsewhere? We'll stop it there because that's the question that we attempt to answer in the point. So that's my uh, latest on True Blue. Uh, make sure that you uh, go to watchtrueblue.com, watch, T-R-U-B-L-U.com, and uh, subscribe to True Blue, and uh, you can catch that twice a week, uh, my, my new program, program called True Blue Today. We'll be back after the news with Pastor Chris Long on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Final hour of the broadcast. Final hour of the day. Final hour of the broadcast week, as a matter of fact. Happy Friday to you. More specifically, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. It is the 17th morning of the third month year of our Lord, 2023, and I'd just like to wish a uh, special happy Sky Point birthday to my father, who would be 94 years old today. Happy birthday, Pops. I asked um, Charlie Kalani, who is my good friend and who is also known as the politically incorrect mechanic, who uh, was one of those floating the, hey, don't forget on this day of celebrating the Irish, that St. Patrick was Italian. And I told you, I just learned of this last year, I think it was. And I said, Charlie, what is your evidence of St. Patrick being Italian? And here's what I got. The patron saint of Ireland's father, Calphurnius, was a Roman decurio, or a military officer, and his mother was Concessa Sucat. They were both Italians, but living in a British estate, which is technically a British territory. So he's technically Patrizio, not Patrick. According to his own autobiography called Confessio, Patrick was enslaved and taken from his home in England at the tender age of 16 by a group of Irish pirates to ship him to Ireland. For six years, he looked after animals before returning to the place of his birth. He is technically of Italian descent. So how about that? A little bit of history there that not too many people are aware of, if that story is accurate, and I have no reason to doubt my good friend Charlie. But there you go. Uh, so happy St. Patrick's Day. And again, the uh, church, the Catholic Church has given that special dispensation that, yes, corned beef and cabbage is okay today, even though it is a Lenten Friday. So celebrate and do so responsibly. Okay. 
Let's bring in our good friend, Pastor Chris Long now, the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, because there's a big event that he made me aware of that's coming on Monday that I think is going to be of very special importance if you are concerned at all about life uh, in the state of Ohio. We can't really speak to it beyond that, but uh, when it comes to the abortion issue and the special ballot initiative that is coming in the state of Ohio, this is a big meeting. Pastor Long is going to tell us all about it. Chris, good morning. Good to have you back, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. And you are talking to an Irishman, okay? My father was Italian. My mother was Irish. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So this is a perfect day for you. And I've never heard oh, that phrasing hey, before. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. And I'm drinking, drinking my Irish tea this morning, and it's very good. So is it okay to have, uh, you know, like pasta with, uh, with corned beef in the sauce instead of ground uh, absolutely. beef? Absolutely. In fact, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. My mother learned to cook by my Italian grandmother, and she was the best Italian cook, uh, really. And we really miss her cooking. We can't replicate it, of course. It, it passed with her. And then, of course, my father, during every St. Patrick's Day with the Irish side of his family, would sing all the Irish songs to That's the awesome. family, and they loved him so much. And so uh, the, the best of both worlds of Italy and and of uh, Ireland came together with my mom Singing and dad. Singing Irish folk songs while eating uh, your, your grandmother's uh, <laughs> pasta and sauce. That's awesome. I love it. Yes, sir. Okay, so, Chris, um, let's talk about what's happening on Monday at the Now Church in Wadsworth. You've got a couple of state representatives coming for some very important reasons. What can you tell us? We do. We have a, a policy forum this Monday that's at 7 p.m. It's uh, free and open to the public. We have State Representative Gary Click, who's coming, who is the sponsor of the SAFE Act, and that is legislation I know, as you have addressed, mm-hmm. uh, what's happening with our young people with the confusion of gender dysphoria uh, thrust upon them by the radical left and by the Biden administration in our public schools and trying to change uh, the, the idea of who they are in their gender. And this is a, a, a bill that would protect them from that, ban hormonal treatment, any counseling along those lines in public schools, and God save us, any surgeries uh, on our children. And so that bill is in the Ohio State House. He's going to be talking about that. Also, State Representative Scott Wiggum will be with us, and Representative Wiggum from Wayne County, he's going to be talking about the 60% threshold. Now, he is as frustrated as others, and you and I are, that that did not get done in the lame duck, that it didn't get done in the early going of this legislative session, and we can uh, basically debate as to why, because of what happened with the speaker's race. But uh, the effort is still uh, percolating down there in Columbus, and Scott's going to be talking about some of the ideas they have. Now, uh, you and I are both really opposed to this abortion ballot issue that Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and ACLU are putting up on the, trying to put up on the Ohio November ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we can beat them to the ballot with a 60% threshold, we can have them climb a bigger mountain than to try to pass the, any kind of abortion on demand in the state of Ohio. That's the plan anyways. So that's um, that's a lot. Um, let's let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about the Safe Act and how important that is. This one they actually introduced back in October. I want to say in the fall they couldn't or didn't want to uh, push it up and try to get it passed for whatever reason before the last session ended. Now it's being revived or being reintroduced by Representative Click. We talked a little bit about this he and I on Monday. Um, what what do you suppose the odds are of this getting through? Um, 
not only through the House and the Senate, which it should be a no-brainer if we are using our supermajority, but as you know, and we've all watched the strange split in the Republican majority in the House, uh, they're going to need, I think, the supermajority in the event that Governor DeWine doesn't sign this and vetoes it. They're going to need all of them to override such a veto. So do you have any feeling, you, you, you work and talk with the folks in the State House all the time, uh, where, where this is going to go? It has 40 co-sponsors, so what a great start, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you only need 10 more votes to pass it in the Ohio House. Uh, The votes are there in the Senate. And actually, the governor very well might sign this bill. This is House Bill 68. And, you know, Representative Click, is uh, this is his second time in introducing the bill. And last spring, actually a year ago, May, he had stellar uh, proponent testimony. And I'll tell you, Bob, it was very moving to hear these young people that have come in and testify the horrible uh, process they went through in the dysphoria and the, the confusion of trying to change their gender. And again, there were those who were aiding them instead of supporting them in their born sexual identity and maybe some counseling they had. And, you know, one of the high factors is, is they, they call have, it affirming which is so so such a well, misnomer they call it well, affirming gender affirming care making it sound like helping them to transition and to and to mutilate their bodies um is is a good thing that's what they want you to think and see and a lot of these kids already have problems they already have identity problems or they might have an eating disorder by their own admission so mm-hmm. uh previous comorbidities that's uh, lending them to uh, just a very difficult time in their life where they need support and love and affirmation they're getting this polluted, quite honestly, evil uh, push to get them to do something that in some cases is irreversible, even after later they've changed their mind. And so the detransitioned individuals that came in to testify uh, was powerful testimony last May. And Representative Click has lined up a number, stellar uh, group that will come in and give testimony. i got to tell you something. The political left just sits there with their mouth drawn out, you know, just... Their jaw is dropped, okay, because here you're talking about the very subject matter of the people that your proposed philosophy or uh, view of this whole thing, and this is the damage of it. And so the, the testimony is undeniable. So, again, that in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a sponsor hearing, a proponent hearing. And so, again, it's important for people to support Representative Gary Click and the 40 sponsors and uh, call your state representative and urge them, hey, I want you voting on this. Whether they were one of the 22 that voted with Stevens or not, uh, we do need to have a big support for this in the Ohio House. So uh, moving on to the ballot initiative now, this is uh, such a big deal. Um, Are we 100% sure that their push is going to be for this November? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, the reason full- I asked that, Chris, the only reason I asked that is some seem to be of a mind that they're going to build this year, and they're going to bring that next year so that they can use it as a massive voter turnout push so they can get Sherrod Brown reelected, so they can get a Democrat to win the the White House or to, w- to win the state of Ohio in the race for the White House and so forth, that this might just be a year of building it, but they may not bring it on until next year. You don't think they're going to wait? I do not believe that. In, in fact, uh, I'll tell you, my good friend, you and I try to surmise and project things, and sometimes yeah. we're pretty good at it. As of late, I've been terrible. I thought that the, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, as you know. Mm-hmm. And so I have seen ballot measures that have to go through a process with the Attorney General's office. Let me explain. 
The first submission is almost always rejected, sent back to the group for a rewrite of some kind, even if, 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 it's, a, if it's a period or a comma or uh, some kind of grammatical error or something. It always gets sent back. That gives you 10 more days. The Attorney General approved it on the first go. Then it went to the ballot board last Monday, and Republicans hold the dominance there of a three to two uh, persuasion on the ballot board. And when you and I look at that language, I see multi-subject in that language. Now, again, I'm, la- I'm a layman. I'm not an attorney. Right. But they went ahead and straight up gave it single subject. That means, because what, what would have happened if it had been multi-subject? Well, they would have gone back to the attorney general. They would have had to write summary. It would have delayed them uh, in the process. So this thing is off and running, and they already have they their volunteers got seven thousand signatures pretty quickly. Okay, so they're off and running, uh, meaning the pro aborts getting this thing for the November ballot. And it's a race to the ballot. What do I mean by that? Well, because they know that if the Republicans put the sixty percent threshold, polls indicate they cannot get over that hill. Nothing shows in polling that they're you know even without fighting. And I believe we can push it below fifty percent. I do in this state, but it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take everybody that's listening right now who's pro-life to convince everyone and their, me- their members and their family to also vote against it in November. So we have to believe at this point that they're hard after it, that they're going to get on the November ballot. Uh, they came together when I didn't think that they would. There was a division within their camp. Uh, you know, Planned Parenthood and the doctors group, they weren't in agreement on the language. They all came together on the agreement uh, on the language, and this thing is moving very quickly. We would be foolish to not take them seriously that they're going to be on the 2023 ballot and be ready for it uh, to defeat it. And so we're already underway at the Ohio Christian Alliance, working with a state coalition of life leaders uh, to really ramp up things in the churches. So you're going to be hearing more from us in the coming weeks and a few months, and that uh, really getting churches involved, pastors involved, uh, the, the faith community involved in the evangelical sector uh, that we get out and vote against this thing, because this is three decades of work we're looking at that could be wiped off the books with one ballot measure. It's a constitutional amendment, not easily undone if they are successful in November. To the polling question, before you go here, Pastor Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance, you said that uh, no polling shows them being successful if it's a 60% threshold. What does the polling show if it is 50% plus one vote? Right now, the early polling, and again, it was a smaller sampling. It was 500 voters. It was done by a professional group. I would have liked to it have been a 1,000 uh, people sampled. And there's going to be more conclusive polling in the next few weeks that will give us a better idea of where we stand. Uh, and again, the, the, our side just released the first ad, and I thought it went very well in the first week of release. The Susan B. Anthony group out of Washington helped to fund that uh, TV ad. And I think it's resonating very well. In fact, the Planned Parenthood and uh, ACLU has had to admit that, yes, it does, this will wipe out parental rights when it comes to notification of abortion of a minor and or notification of hormonal treatment or sex change for a child. I mean, God help us, Bob. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, really, am I living in this kind of day and age? But we are, and uh, God give us the grace and strength for it, right? But... The polling indicates that they're polling at maybe 55% uh, in their favorables in the early going. Now, we believe we can drive that down, but nothing shows them being over 60%. Why do you believe you can drive that down? I, I feel like 
and I could be just totally wrong, but just in observational, you know, uh, settings here, I, I, I watch. I, I don't see minds being changed. I don't see people who see abortion as health care, which is such a misnomer, uh, as, as deciding, okay, it's a baby and we're taking a life. I'm going to change my mind over that. I almost feel like it's just you already are what you are, and I don't know if how many hearts can be changed or how many eyes can be opened at this stage of, of the abortion fight nationwide. So what? what I, I love your optimism, Chris. I do. I hope you're right when you say we can drive that number down to under 50%, but why do you think so? Well, I think what people will understand is what the ballot measure means. It means uh, if you ask people what they think about, and this was not polled, partial birth abortion ban. We did that in this state two decades ago, okay? And people were aghast at what they saw happening as a partial birth abortion. Well, this would take away that law. It would take away the 20-week abortion ban law. It would take away the ban on Down syndrome abortion. And, of course, it would take away the Ohio's heartbeat law, which is currently before the state Supreme Court. Uh, It would also take away parental notification. Now, parental notification and partial birth abortion, most Ohioans are not for abortion through the ninth month, okay? And so that's why we believe that this language is so radical uh, and so extreme that when Ohioans really understand what it is, that they'll say, no, I'm not voting for that. So even if they fall in some uh, area of compromise, where you and I would not be, but uh, maybe some other Ohioans would be more compromised on their abortion views. Uh, They're not for abortion up to the ninth month pregnancy of the radical states of New York and California. So that's not really Ohio value, and we think if we can get our message out to our folks, uh, and we need the time on the calendar to do it, uh, to communicate that message to the the church community, to folks, uh, and to your neighbors and your friends, then we think we can uh, beat them at the ballot. All right. Well, I, I like that. I'm glad to hear that. That's good. I know there are a lot of very important groups that are working uh, very, very hard to, to, to do that, to drive it down, to open the eyes, make the people understand the extremism of it, as you're saying. You know, they may not, may not have their mind changed over abortion overall, but the extremism might be what it takes to uh, to show them, hey, we cannot do this. This is not the way. Uh, Pastor Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Real quick, one more time. People who want to be a part of Monday night, where do they go and when? Absolutely. That's at the Nazarene Church. That's on 743 High Street, Wadsworth, Ohio, 7 o'clock Monday night with Representative Scott Wiggum. Representative Gary Click will also be giving a presentation. It's a policy forum, free and open to the public. Come on out and join us. Outstanding stuff. Pastor Long, thank you for what you do, and thank you for coming on. Thank you. You got it. It's 1127 News Time Now. We'll come back with one more segment on AM 1420, The Answer. Callahan, his mother was a Brady, his auntie and O'Shaughnessy, and his uncle was a Grady. So here's the vote, St. Patty's Fist. He was a saint so clever. He gave the snakes and toes a twist, and he banished them forever. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 11.36, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Enjoy that special dispensation today. Go and uh, get your grub on, and uh, I know you're going to get your drink on, too, or most people are. Do it safely. Do not drive. There's so many options now. Uh, if you can't find a friend or a family member who is not drinking to drive you, it's, you know, the cabs are a thing of the past almost. Call yourself an Uber or a Lyft or something, but make sure you're driving safely. 
uh, on St. Patrick's Day. So uh, I, I want to hit this super quick. Uh, I'll get a call or two in here before we're done, too. But let me hit this super quick. Ben Dominich was on uh, with uh, Stuart Varney on Fox Business. And, you know, as we talk about all of these things that we've been doing with, the, you know, the trying to push back in the culture war against the, uh, the woke culture, Ben Dominich wrote an op-ed about this saying we need a new word for wokeness because wokeness no longer covers it. Wokeness was born of a different, you know, for a different reason, and it doesn't cover what's going on in this culture right now. Listen. Well, I think that there's something that's going on here, which we've seen a lot in the past. You've had, you know, social justice warriors. You had all different sort of titles for different things that were going on. The problem that I have with wokeness, because it's so ubiquitous, it's so used across, uh, you know, the Republican political fray today, is that it doesn't really speak to the seriousness of the problem that we're addressing. Wokeness used to refer to people back, you know, a decade ago who had, you know, some silly ideas about race in America. Unfortunately, now it includes people who actually have existential a conflict with the American idea itself, with the West and with everything that's made us great. I don't think that wokeness fully captures, for instance, the kind of trans agenda that we're seeing advanced through schools and targeted at young people. And so because of that, I think that wokeness is kind of uh, a shorthand that uh, we need to move beyond. It's, it's something politicians are going to use for the foreseeable future, but we need to understand that when it comes to uh, this type of thing, there's a difference between people who are putting rainbow signs on their lawn about the people, uh, the you know refugees being welcome in their household, and people who actually want to indoctrinate your children with falsehood about who they are and who they are allowed to be who want to purify the planet starting with you and your family so i i think he makes a very good point and i kind of support it um i we probably should kind of noodle on this a little bit find another word to describe the overall attack on this country and its civilization its morals uh and so forth um i agree we should find a better word than woke but if we do then johnny hiles and dale officer are going to have to write a whole new song Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. My gender changes depending on the day or week or even depending on the hour. If you got three months. In Facebook jail, who you gonna call? Whoa, busters! If your five-year-old girl identifies as male, who you gonna call? Whoa, busters! When you post pictures of your beautiful vacation or your healthy children or your lovely home and you write hashtag bless, I ain't trying to be woke. You are offensive because you were not chosen as one of God's favorites. You were given opportunities that other people were not. I ain't trying to be woke. If the liberal mob tries to shut you down, who can you call? Whoa, Because you forgot to use their preferred pronouns. Oh, who you gonna call? Whoa, busters! What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, Zazam. These are my pronouns. Mappa, Nini, Nopa, Nori. I ain't trying to be woke. Opa, Pere, Pong Pong, Zaza, Zizi, Trixic, Twerk, From an Amork, Dear Amork, Allosexual. I ain't trying to be woke. If you've had enough of this freaky stuff, baby, you better call. Whoa, busters! If your American dream is too extreme, then call. Whoa, busters! 
Our genitals actually don't determine our gender. I ain't trying to be woke. Do you believe then that men can become pregnant? Yes. I ain't trying to be woke. Trans women are not a threat to women's sports. I ain't trying to be woke. Any male who claims not to be a misogynist is a misogynist. When a traffic statue replaces Chief Wahoo, you really need to call. Whoa, When NBC sounds like the KGB, baby, think you better call. Whoa, Ow, who you gonna call? Whoa, Who you gonna call? Whoa, I can't hear you. Who you gonna call? Whoa, I think you better call. Whoa, Who can you call? Whoa, I think you better call. So yeah, Ben, I agree. We knew we do need to find a new word, but Johnny Hiles, could you write a whole nother <laughs> I don't know if you could write another song. I don't know if we can top that one. That was pretty good. That's that is kind of classic. Hard to top gold. Vocals by Johnny Hiles, produced uh, wonderfully and magically by Dale Officer. Tremendous stuff uh, by both of them. So thank you both for that. Uh, let's get a couple more thoughts in here before we're done. Um, Navy Man Norm, you are in Strongsville. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. Bob, first and foremost, a very happy and blessed birthday uh, to your dad. Thank you. I think yes. that's past 94. Hard to believe. I just wanted to uh, make a comment about uh, Hanoi Jane. Uh, I know uh, Beths remember Hanoi Jane from being the co- communist collaborator in uh, North Vietnam in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came out a week ago on The View, and she said uh, the best thing to handle the uh, pro-life uh, pro people is to murder them. And, I mean, she made no bones about it. The people, the four women on The View, her uh, compadres, looked at her like she was insane. And then they started laughing. And she, she had this serious look on her face, and she says, no, murder them. One of so, them told her to pull that back and said, you don't want to say that. You don't mean that like that, because they're going to have a field day with this if you don't pull it. And she didn't speak. She just looked and shrugged her shoulders with a look on her face that said, so? She was not pulling it back. Now, it took a day or two later for her to say, well, of course, I didn't mean it in a literal sense, blah, blah, blah. But in that moment when she said it, she didn't say it with a chuckle. She didn't repeat it the second time when somebody said, what did you just say? She repeated it again, not with a chuckle. And then when somebody, and I don't remember which one, I'm told you better pull that back or else there's going to be problems. Uh, and then the, the pro, pro-life crowd is going to go crazy over this. She just shrugged and kind of looked with a, with a face that said, I don't care. She didn't say, well, of course, I don't mean literal murder. I just mean we need to defeat their ideology or whatever. Uh, Norm, you're a thousand percent right. In that moment, for several considered moments, she meant kill pro-lifers because they're the ones that are that are her enemies and if a pro-life spokesperson uh, had come out and said the same thing about the oh, uh, pro boards you would have had garland's gestapo waiting outside the studio for a morning thing Oh my gosh! Yep. Yeah, you, you you know that you can't even imagine that. And even if even if the pro lifer who had said that, now of course it would be very very hard for a pro lifer who's arguing on behalf of life to say I murder the opposition. But even if they had said it with a chuckle, it would have been completely you know made to be a, a legitimate threat. There probably would have been an FBI investigation to find out if they're a domestic terrorist and so forth. But uh, when Hanoi Jane does it, uh, of course there's no repercussions whatsoever. 
So, Norm, thank you, my friend. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great weekend, everybody. Remember what I said. Be safe on St. Patrick's Day. Be safe all weekend long. Uh, Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my crew. And thanks to you for being a part of this. We're back Monday morning, bright and early. We'll see you then. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.